Hello and welcome to another episode of Get Out A Wrap, the podcast all about contact centre chat. When putting this um, podcast together, one of the people that I wanted to get on um, and have a chat with, uh, this may be like two naughty kids in a, in, in, in a class, but uh, is a guy called Mark Healy. I was lucky enough to work with Mark. We figured it out today it was eight years ago. Yeah. And we worked on setting up uh, an outbound team. It was kind of like our own republic. We made our own rules and laws. <laughs> um, and Mark was, at the time, an exceptional um, trainer, change lead, and has gone on to get qualifications coming out of his yin-yang in all kinds of elements of project management, prints, um, change and has stayed within leading teams in training is an expert an sme in all things training and also a contact center world that he's worked in from the phones for the last 15 plus years both in this country and in setting up offshore operations in manila for a large company in the uk um I think that's enough about me talking about Mark. Um, we're now going to talk talk to Mark and hang on to your seats, everyone. <coughs> I'll go. I think that was everything. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. <laughs> Cheers. That was great. Mark, thanks very much for doing this. It's been um, it's been a long overdue, hasn't it? It has. It's been a lot. I think that the biggest reason why it's been overdue is because I've been giggling for about four years about doing it, and now we're here. Um, <laughs> get the chance to do it. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Why don't we, because um, I don't know all of your story, why don't we start at the start yep. um, and that kind of journey into being in the contact centre would obviously a dream since you were about 10. Easily. <laughs> Up until 10 I wanted to be a dinosaur and then that's when the call centre dream kicked in was age 10, double digits. I, I got into call centres... We're working in call centres, it seems quite a common story. I, was gonna, I needed a job and I was going to work there for six months. I was going to save up some money and then I was going to go off and do something else. Uh, that was 2002, and 2019 was still... Here I years. am. Here I am, yeah, still there doing the same stuff. But, um, yeah, it was only ever... Uh, before that, I actually used to make stained glass windows and fit double glazing. I was, like, uh, out and about, and I, I was fed up with being in the wet. That was a real big reason. To, Natural crossover, though. Uh, yeah, very much so, yeah. So why wouldn't you lead into... One leads into the other, right? So I got a job in a call centre. I was working for a company uh, called The Listening Company, who were based in... Richmond, London and Portsmouth and I was there for I think 10 years nearly and, and that's where I then sort of developed into a training from a, a QA role after being on the phones for a bit working for loads of big companies within it as, a, as an outsourced contact centre and then yeah progressed into training and then luckily have just sort of had the opportunity to progress and, and develop and I've always had my, my roots in training but change as you mentioned is a big part of what I do now as well and uh, yeah it's done it's done me very well very happy. Let's let's talk about um, those kind of early days. So both me and you starting on the phones mm-hmm. um, and that kind of morphing into other roles. But in terms of starting on the phones, I think it's been, uh, whilst it has been a common theme, it's equally there are people that love contact centres and added real value haven't started on the phones. But um, when you ha- when you have, if there are people listening now who are in that world what what was it or how did you conduct yourself 
Um, what was it about that that you loved, didn't love? How did you prefer to be managed? That life as a let's start with that life as a as an agent then, if you like. Yeah, well, for me, it was totally different to what I was used to. So before that, like I said, I was making stained glass windows in like a, a factory, essentially. And it was a, a, that's a really weird job to get, by the way. I don't know how that happened, but it did. Um, so I think going into a- I saw a, you looking at the windows very studiously when we walked in. Is, is that kind I, of, you can't, you never leave it behind. It never leaves you. I can't help it. I've noticed there's some beautiful glazing in this area. We're in a box, but um, yeah, it's, it's it's an odd transition, but I, I had no kind of perception on how I was going to be managed because I'd never been managed before. I'd been to school, obviously, because, you know, you have to, and I had teachers. And, and to me, it was that experience of going into an office environment. It felt very much like going into school, but then it, I learned very quickly that the managers that I gravitated to and that I actually wanted to perform well for were the people who were very much... Not on my level, I'm not saying that there were people who weren't, but they were just very good at communicating. They understood the the purpose of what we were there to do, but they were just very human. They humanised working in an office because it was quite a, a scary mm. transition back then. It was quite a solitary job I had before. And then uh, working in an office was totally different. But I, I, I was very aware that the people that I gravitated towards were the people who were just very nice and friendly and respectful and they would engage with me and I would want it to do well for them. And I think very quickly I, I realised, uh, I don't know if this is the same for you, but the biggest aspect that I enjoyed of working in the call centre was the team that you're in. Yeah. And the job itself really became a sort of a second part of it. It was almost you wanted to do well because you're with this group of people that you spend every day with, mm. five, six days a week. And you really do form a bond. It's something I've seen my whole career. There's always get these little teams and little groups and this was way before mobile phones really were kicking in when I was doing it. So we didn't have WhatsApp groups like mm. all the kids do now and all that stuff. But do you know what I mean? It's Well, there, it's, it's interesting you mention schools and also smaller teams bonds because yeah. there's a lot of crossover. It's, it's, contact centres as an environment I find fascinating from a... There's a lot of crossover with the school, but there's also a lot of crossover with the military as well. So... Mm. The mili militaries are based on that kind of esprit de corps that's developed within small units. Mm -hmm. So we, we, you know, we're the same in that I've loved being in contact centres because of the people I work with, yeah. wanting to work with them, the bouncing stuff off each other, the banter. And then when you go, why do you do what you do? It's, oh, a lot of the time it's because we want our team to do well. Yeah, exactly. It's the team that I like being in. It is. And it's it's really odd because it's a group of people that you're thrown in with that you've never really met before. And you can have, I, I remember working on teams before where we had some, some, I mean, at the time I would have been maybe 23, 24. And I was working with three guys who were 50, 60 plus years mm -hmm. old. Yeah. And then equally, there's a group of, of girls who were a similar age to me. And then there was a couple of part-time people who were like stay-at-home mums and they were getting back real dynamic group of people that you would never normally traditionally think would be no. a group of friends necessarily but we got on famously we loved working with each other and we, we pushed each other in a really positive way and, and we were lucky that we had a, a manager that really fed that and really encouraged that between us and that's just one team I could literally reel off probably five or six teams I've been a part of whether it's as a, a training team as a manager of a training team or as, as an agent on the phones it absolutely seems to me that the if you are 
wanting to do well for yourself and for the people that you're immediately impacting, your team, then you're always going to do well. And I think that you sort of look after each other as well, because sometimes, and this might be a little bit not controversial, but I think sometimes in an office environment, there are people who are um, a little bit, they, they don't enjoy change or they don't like that things are done differently and they've got a very set agenda on how to do something. And they can, because they don't understand it, they might be a little bit more offensive, a bit more, a bit, tend to attack, probably not the right word, but they're quite uh, an abrasive personality to have in a team environment. But you as a team create a bubble, very much like, I, I feel that that's something that we definitely yeah, we did together, sure. um, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but it's it's your little work family. And I think that that's something that is born from coincidence that you're all at the same place to start a job at the same time or you get moved in that, but actually they become the people that you want to help do well and, and, and help you to do well as well. I think there's that that is that's spot on. I think there's we as a industry sometimes forget that um we forget. So I I talk about our experiences that we talked yeah, about yeah. we talked about before is <laughs> you come out I, I came out of university I'm in a, and then I go straight into a call center in Wembley. And one of my first interactions with my team leader was to talk to me about taking a minute longer than had been allocated in the toilet. Yeah. And that's just an extreme example of thinking, okay, that was my one interaction with that person that day. Mm. And it was about, I'd spent a minute extra in the, in the toilet. And yeah. you just think, what? Of what is this? And I think we, as a, you know, as, a, as an industry, we think about kind of we have to be more efficient than anywhere else. KPIs are really, really measured. But if you are still in a call center right now, and those kind of things are the most prominent aspect of your managerial, if you're a team leader, and the only thing you're going to talk to someone about today is that they've taken a minute longer in the toilet, yeah. there's something wrong. Exactly. And that, that to me, but that's the experiences that sort of stick with you a little bit, but they make you better because I don't want Absolutely. to ever be like that. Absolutely. But my question was always, if we, we'd mentioned this before, if someone's, I had one once where a manager, uh, I arrived for my shift, let's say it started at 10 o'clock, I got there at 5-2, should really be there maybe 10-2, get logged on because you start at, at 10. Yeah, but you need to warm up seven systems. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Well, this was back in the day where literally everything was powered by steam, so you like, had to wind up the computer. Can you get in six hours before your shift starts yeah. to load up just Nexus 4000? If you could just stay here, that'd be great. And then uh, we're, we're, we're covered for the weekend. It's Thursday, I know. <laughs> so I remember getting in at like 5-2 and then my manager called me over and it was like before I shift and I thought she was cool. We had a quick chat and she was talking through some, some work stuff, so going through some changes that were happening with, with shifts or whatever. So then I went and logged on at five past 10. I logged on and she called me over again and told me that I'd logged on late. And I said, well, that's because we were talking about shifts. And she went, well, whose fault is that? And I was like, uh, yours. I, I think yours actually, because you, you called me over and we were talking about shifts. She went, no, you should have been here early. And I said, well, I, well anyway, that's, if someone can have that much, invest that much time in coming up with ways to be creatively moody, mm. <laughs> grumpy, mm. not very nice, then like I said earlier, I think that that's, that maybe they're not being challenged enough in their role and actually there's a much better way to use that energy than saying, why have you been a minute extra in the toilet? And if it's like a Weatherspoons where you where you work, it's a 60 minute walk to the loo anyway. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a long way. Never frequent a Weatherspoons, mate. Come I've, on. I, well, I've heard about them. <laughs> obviously, I don't drink in them, obviously. But no, do you know what I mean? It's 
I think if people, if that's the way that they're playing it, then they're maybe not challenged enough in their role. And I'm sure there's much better ways that we can utilise their experience. But I think the contact sense is a fascinating kind of landscape with which to talk about these things. Because I think it's that um, you go, oh, well, we have to be this rigid. Otherwise, it's chaos. And you go, well, surely there's a middle ground. Exactly. Right? It's not, it's not Lord of the Flies or regimented... <laughs> <laughs> A regimented army approach. Yeah. Why can't we? And there are some great companies out there who... We were talking about one before, about dress code. That's, a, that's another interesting yeah, one, isn't Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where someone's dress code is dress appropriately. Because mm. guess what? They're employing adults. They're giving them the freedom to to be what they are. And I think once you, once you factor that in with what the nature of the job is... Yeah. The job is repetitive. The job is tough. Yep. It, it kind of can squash your creativity. So wherever possible, if if your company allows you to have more freedoms and treats you with respect as a professional adult, yeah, that alleviates some of the like. Absolutely, I think. Thank you for calling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think someone walking in wearing a pair of trainers doesn't mean that they're any less effective at their role of sitting at a desk in a building where no one's going to see what they're wearing on their feet, and actually they're able to to do that job well. But then. I think my beef is with the my beef my beef is with the people who do go out of their way to say, well, that's not dress code. You need to go. I've seen people sent home from work because they've had trainers on. And okay, there's a policy. Maybe they they didn't quite get it right at the time. But it surely, wasn't like disco stew with a dead goldfish. It was dead. They were <laughs> dead and buried. They were gone. Gone. So yeah, if you're gonna have dead fish in your shoes, by all means, go home. But if you're walking in with like the wrong trainers on, or you know what I mean. Surely there's a better way of, I mean, absolutely address it. There's a dress code for a reason. And if it's part of your business culture, then that's important. That's fine. But there's probably bigger fish to fry, dead or not in shoes, that are, you know, more important to work about. Well, Uh, before before we started recording, I loved your point around, um, I think, was it when you were in Manila, when you were talking to a team leader about if the only thing they're going to talk about today was whether someone was wearing trainers or not, then how do you... Yeah, exactly. So the the guys in Manila, that was a massive. I mean, a big part of what I've done is is change, and change management. And I think that was me massively out of my car. I've never been. I've, I've been abroad, but never to that part of the world. And uh, they're the nicest, nicest people. So good. They can't do enough for you. They're and this is this is very much a cultural difference. I'm not saying that's not the culture of the UK, but well. <laughs> I, I was blown away by it out there, you know. And they're just so lovely. I was there for four months. That's a long time to be away from from home, and it was a long, long way away. And I was on my own. Got got a bit teary on the way in, but that's because David Gray came on. <laughs> I'm not gonna see you a little bit. You can't sing. You have to charge for it. But yeah, it's, um, it was a long way from home, and I think. But, there was I was very much there from a client point of view, so I was boss Mark. That was what they called me, which I loved. But I also said, "You don't have to call me that." <laughs> but is it like a really rubbish? Why did James you ask Bond? me to refer to that to you today? Then yeah. thanks, mate. It's because it says on my Guess what? Yeah, so they're, they're very they they very much enjoy a hierarchy, and mm. they, they but they kind of thrive on it. Mm. But the team culture they have was incredible. Absolutely blew me away. But then there was this one. <laughs> manager and I think because everyone was so lovely and so they were determined to make this work like the the passion that they had for the role which sometimes is a challenge I think as anyone who's worked in training uh, may have experienced this which is like sometimes when you've got a group of people this is in, in isn't necessarily just in the UK but wherever the first 
the biggest challenge you've got is getting people to engage with you in that training environment because they either don't want to be there, they think they know it all already, they're not bothered about whatever it is, X, Y, Z. When I was out in, in Manila, they, it, they, were, they were going in on Sundays to do extra work to make sure that they were up to speed on everything, which we never asked them to do. And they were doing it unpaid, but they would meet up at their houses. Wow. The passion that they had was unbelievable. Mm. And they, they smashed all their MPS, was fantastic. They're, they're just doing a great job. But this one manager really stood out, I think, because everyone was so nice. They probably weren't that bad, but actually, you know, if, you, if you've got a lovely bag of chips and there's one horrible bit in there, you're going to remember yeah. that. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, they were really angry about something about um, about trainers, and I just remember thinking, you know, that's not how is that helping anybody? What's the benefit of what you're doing there? I understand that there's a dress code. To be fair, the dress code out there was very lack, like very, like you could mm. pretty much wear whatever you wanted. Like it was insane. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not going to go into details, but it was, you know, pretty relaxed, but not like offensive or, or anything like that. But I don't understand why this person got picked on that day, and I still don't understand the 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 benefit of it. I well, also about chat, you said about taking that energy and that interaction and yeah. using it for something more positive. Well, this is it. You're a manager for a reason, I think. And there's I've listened to other one of your podcasts, and a lot of people, James from a, a couple of weeks ago, was saying about uh, leadership and leaders versus managers and stuff. And I think there's a they're called coaches. Every company's got a million different ways to tell someone this is the person who tells you what to do. Mm. But actually the people who are the best at being in that position are the people who lead rather than dictate and manage. Uh, manage is a big part of it, but if you can lead people the way that you would want to be led, I think that's a really important thing. But you've got the added benefit of experience because you're in that position. And I just think if you're taking the energy to, have, to literally have a go at someone and shout at them about what they're wearing on their feet, um, in monsoon season, by the way, like, <laughs> you pretty much have to swim to work on some days there. Like people are coming in in waders, breaststroke, backstroke, butterfly and crawl. You name it. But the true story: sometimes the trains are down, so they have to get their boats out of their houses. That's a true story. And literally row up the road to get to the dry bit to then carry on their journey. Um, they're like they call themselves the immortals. Because they literally, they will get to work no matter what. That's brilliant. True story as well. That's what they call it. And it was the coolest. You get emails saying, asking people to move their boats. (laughs) (laughs) Would the owner of a blue kayak please make their way to reception? It was, uh, yeah, it was just, but the the level of dedication. And then to say to this guy, hey, no wide converse in here, buddy. Mm. And it was a lot more aggressive than that. Mm. And I just remember thinking, channel what you've got there. Mm. If you need to address it, do it. Think about your environment. Do you need to chastise someone in front of a whole group of people, mm. their peers, their team? Yeah. These people love each other. like They're like mm. family to each other. And I, I don't see the, the value in it. I think it's all about just, it's nice to be nice, Martin. It is. It is. Isn't I think it? it's um, it's a common... Sorry, just showing the room. Oh, okay, yeah. This is the Zen room. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Well, we're, good job we've got trousers on. <laughs> You're very lucky. Five minutes earlier. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks. I'm going to shut that then. Shall I go and shut the door? Let's go together. What if we're hooked up? This is a two-man job for sure. We're just shutting the door. We just had some visitors. Luckily we were clothed as we were talking about dress code. Yes. Yeah, how ironic. I was just going to say... Um, you the the kind of one of those teams you talked about where you've got just a cross section of society right this lovely kind of um 
demographic diversity. And then a lot of the time you're asking people to take their first management position, team leader, team manager, yep. and then suddenly go and manage that group. And one of the pitfalls, I think, is we probably don't do enough as an industry, huge generalization. It'd be great to get your opinion on it, but we I don't think we do do enough in preparing people to make that transition from one of the team to then suddenly leading that team with everything that that brings which sometimes then leads to people defaulting to this weird authoritarianism (laughs) like i demand respect i am now your leader you cannot joke about me or point out that i've got big feet you know whatever it may be exactly but i've seen it happen hundreds of times i'm sure you have as well uh, you know, you literally someone gets uh, <laughs> the team manager job from within the team, and they're like high five. So Thursday night is their last day of being in the team. So high five, well done. Ooh, I'm really chuffed. Thanks, guys. Let's go and have a drink or get some chips because we mentioned chips earlier, and they're on my brain. I'm hungry. So whatever <laughs> it is, but as a team, it's there. And then the next morning they come in, and somehow they've become like almost sepia, and they're wearing like <laughs> the, the, the Burton's manager starter kit. They've gone straight out to like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're like. Well, you are three minutes late. Don't extra, no extra wheeze for a minute for you. Do you know what I mean? And it, yeah. And it is, you're right, because they've never been taught to be a manager. They hit just hit the default button. Mm. Have you ever seen that film? Um, what's the film where Inside Out, when all your emotions oh, are... Oh, yeah, that's good. It's like Pixar a, one. Yeah, yeah. it's like a new little manager one comes yeah. in and just takes over the desk. And yeah. it's like, I, I think to be a manager, I have to be... I'm not allowed to swear on this podcast, but I have to be a little bit of a... Tool. So and so. Yeah. Yeah. A cheeky sausage. Oh, you oh. naughty tinker. Oh, you little. Moister doister. Oh, you, you little <laughs> monkey. But you know what I mean? You can't. Yeah. It's, I've seen it happen where literally you high five them on the Thursday and then on the Friday morning they are sending you an email which is like it's been written by Shakespeare. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Forsooth. How dareth you? I am. It doesn't matter what they are saying, but it's like they talk to you like they've never met you before. Yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily the person's fault. I'd, I'm not saying that... I don't think I'm guilty of that. I think that I, it's something that I've seen and that I've benefited from seeing it because it's something that you think as a real competent decision to not be like that. I think there is... It's tough though, isn't it? The tra- it is. That transition's really tough. It is because there is, there is a difference in responsibilities and when you become a manager or a team leader or a coach or whatever the terminology may be or any position... Your, your responsibilities change and you are responsible to an extent on, on this these people's output, whatever it may be, whether it's a sales environment, calls per hour, whatever it might be, booking appointments for whatever. Mm. You do have the responsibility to drive them and I've, I've done it before. Excuse me, but I'm not getting emotional. But it's, um, <laughs> it, it's odd, it's odd to see, but then I think that that is where there is a lot of opportunity to improve that and change that through training. Mm. And something that I've said quite a lot in training, and I think this is true to a point, but a lot, especially when you do communication skills training, a lot of it isn't teaching people anything new. It's about making them aware of what they already know. Because we we start to learn to communicate from when we're babies, from when we're children. My niece is nearly two, and she can communicate with us perfectly well. We know when she's wants chocolate because she'll drag us to the cupboard and just stand there and say, chock, and we're like, cool, we're good to go. She's probably a little bit more advanced than that, but... That's all I get from that. <laughs> but from that point on, we're communicating and we learn things, but it's not necessarily something that is in your, in your arsenal, in your toolbox that you can use on a daily basis. So I think that managers would benefit from the right training 
in, in all different kinds of training methodologies to be aware of the tools that they have because it's not necessarily about learning something new, but no one's told them the transition process or the change process from being Johnny who's on the team to Johnny the manager, sorry, Johnny who's on the team to Jonathan the manager. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Hey Johnny, it's Jonathan. Yeah. It was Johnny yesterday. I wasn't a manager yesterday. Yeah. Do you know it's, what I mean? It's help, it, and it's helping from an operational management point of view, it's helping people I can remember when I was then got to a point of managing team leaders and sitting down with a team leader and saying, I I need the team to see the you that is out of work that we know, mm. that is the person playing five-a-side football that's a really good laugh. And yeah. Why do you have to put on this, like the, the, the Burton's kit <laughs> and, yeah. and, and strut around? Why is that? Admonishing thing? people. What, yeah. what, what, what is that based out of actually... And it took some time. It was fear. It's it's fear of not doing a good job, mm. not people not respect. And I said, it's, that's earned, right? And sometimes that's earned by just being yourself, showing vulnerability, helping people get to wherever they need to yeah. to get to. I totally agree. I think the other thing as well. It's I think there's two sort of when you become a any you develop or you progress. There's like a fork in the road. And I think that the road more travelled is the right, and it's a bit of default road that we don't choose. I'm not saying that people like to be mean, but becoming a manager equals authority equals right. I've got I've got to moan at people and tell them what what to do. And I think the the road less travelled, maybe a little bit, is the road that I'd like to think that me and you are on, which is very much about. Um, I'm not saying that we're better than everybody else, <laughs> obviously, but you know, by being a little bit more respectful, being able to have a little bit of a laugh, being human and engaging with people, yeah. people want to do well because they don't want to let you down versus, oh, well, I've got to do it because I've just been shouted at for 10 minutes for having an extra minute in the toilet. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that doesn't mean to say that by being, you know, there is the argument that people say, you know, you don't go to work as a manager to be everyone's friend. I'm not saying that, but... That doesn't mean to say that you have to become so bad that no one wants to be your friend. No, I think ever, yeah. and it doesn't mean you're any less capable of as a team. Mm. I think there are times where you do have to have awkward conversations. I've exactly. Done it, yeah, of and course. You, but you still do it. But you're doing it in a way where, you know, I'm talking to a person. I'm not talking to my subordinate. Do you know mm. what I mean? Or, or whoever it is who's doing this. I, I struggle very much with that within the industry that we work in, which we've spoken about before. I think that training is a. Uh, this might be controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, training's very quick to blame uh, if something isn't going very well. Maybe that's because you I'm, mean other people blaming. Absolutely, training. yeah. So if someone on the phone, why is, is this person doing this? Oh, go oh, to I wasn't showing that in training. Yes, you were. I've got 15 other people that were in the session, and everyone else has signed this document to say that you did it. It's, it's very easy to blame yeah. training, and that's uh, that's not to say that other departments don't get their own fairest their own phone. They don't get stick. <laughs> Stop. They don't get. You're not know, very yeah, passionate yeah. about this, but it's very easy to blame training. But I think that the man, the way going back to the management thing is that you know you you manage that person how you would want to be managed. I think that's really, really how, important. How was when did you start? When was that move? What was that move into training like? Was that something that you <laughs> designed? Like said, I really that I I want to go into this because of what I've seen or yeah. So my the way I got into training was total accident. A complete accident. So I was working, uh, as I mentioned, for a company called The Listening Company, and we was based in Portsmouth, and there was another office based up in Richmond, which I think is technically Surrey, but yeah, London. Um, 
and the training team was all based in London and they would come down to deliver training. I was working on um, for a, like a mobile phone provider yeah. within within yeah. The, the the call center as the quality assurance. So I was listening to call recordings, make sure that we were compliant. And so I knew the product inside out, back to front. Uh, Unfortunately, there was a train strike or something happened where we had these, these new starters come in, but the trainer couldn't get down from London. And so the, the, the new training manager who had arrived, he, wasn't, he didn't know the, the product, but I did. So he said, can you deliver the product part of the training with me in the room as support? And I did. And I loved it because I, I'm a show off. I love standing up in front of people. <laughs> I, I'll do it. I'll talk about anything with anybody. I love it. Well... Hey, right now. But do you know what I mean? It's happening. Yeah, listen. So it was, I loved it. And he, the, the guy who talked, his name's Cliff, Cliff Jarrett, who became like my, my mentor. And off the back of that, I sort of then, that was it. I was offered a training position. And I, Cliff literally took me under his wing and just taught me how to be a trainer. And that was 2005. And there's still stuff now, that 2019, that I still use from that time because, you know, there are, as much as we talk about change and moving with the times and different practices coming out, sometimes the fundamentals, they are the yeah. fundamentals for a reason. Yeah. Cliff was, and he still is my absolute mentor with that stuff. Um, so, yeah, that it was completely by accident because I knew the most about the mobile phone packages we were selling and I was not shy about standing up in front. I think it was three people. I don't think it was that many. You know, like it's the biggest channel group I've ever done was 300, yeah, which was like for about 10 minutes, and it was just like we had to get a blanket message out to a, a large group of people. Were those 300 people you knew, or no? It was I, I, I knew some of them, but I, I was given a headset. I said I'd only do it if I got a glittery jacket as well, and I wanted simply the best. <laughs> Welcome, hey, oh. but uh, yeah, did you have a theme tune? <laughs> I wish I did. The, the only thing I've made was don't fall over because my wig would fall off, but it didn't, so it's fine, but um. Yeah, three people, but that was that was how my training started, and then off the back of that, then it was very much sort of like I would imagine pretty standard. What's that like though? What's that like in terms of what do you need to have to be able to get up and deliver training to any number of group? What are the fundamentals? I think for me, it's important you know your product. That you got to know your stuff because credibility is massive. If you've got a group of people, and this is the hard work of the ice underneath the iceberg. Exactly, isn't it? this is the duck's feet work. going yeah. nuts. You just see the the swan or the duck coasting along. The, the, what you don't see is all the bits under yeah. the, the legs going nuts under the water. But I think you've got to know your product. But you can learn product. You can learn, uh, you know, what the different features and benefits and sales points and all this. You can learn that. I think there needs to be an element of you've you've got to be quite a confident person or you've got to look like you're confident. So on the inside, again, it's the iceberg thing. You might not feel great about it, but if you can portray yourself in a certain way, but equally, it's about being approachable. Again, this isn't the blow smoke up anyone's butt session, but traditionally when I've trained, people, when I would I'd be in the training already, people would be like, oh great, it's with you. They'd be really happy, which is great for me because I've got such a ridiculous <laughs> ego, I love it. No, but. It's it's nice because then you know that they're like they're going to relax. Mm. They're in a completely you know safe environment where they're it's safe to ask questions, mm. and and you you create that. That's you that's created that environment. Mm. I think that's a really important part of it. So yeah, product is you've got to know what you're talking about product wise, but you can learn that the communication skills that you have, which I think is part of your personality. I think I've definitely been pushed away from behaving the way that my personality naturally wants me to. 
good. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably for the best. This is what the most mean? PG. So, um, having a reputation within a business of being maybe a little bit of a, a joker. Uh, not that you don't take things seriously I don't know if you can relate to this yeah. or not but it's very much about because like I'll go into a group of people and we'll have a conversation for 10 minutes uh, rather than look right everyone get your books out and do this we'll you know we'll relax we'll make sure everyone's happy comfortable confident right let's go there's a very much uh, people who don't understand it uh, again it goes back to the thing if you don't understand something the natural reaction is to attack it rather than embrace it and I've been encouraged a lot to not be can't see this because it's a podcast, but funny. <laughs> rabbit ears. Yeah, rabbit ears. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm using that right. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's. But I think that that part of my personality, my character, really lends itself to being a good trainer. Yeah. And it's something that I've seen in others as well. That's not to say, there are, I know really boring people who are great trainers as well. I was going to ask <laughs> you actually, this kind of, it, if, you're, if you're an introvert, um, but you are, but you're passionate about, because I guess this is about, passionate about sharing knowledge mm. and helping people improve right yeah you're an introvert but you are still a good communicator yeah um is it that the just the, the common denominator has to be you like people yeah you and and that comes across i don't want to get all crystals at the, and but you can tell mm. when you're in a group of people whether someone is going to be open to just talking or totally yeah, exactly. And I think you can be an introvert. And like, like you said, if you're an introvert, but you've got a really good knowledge of something, that doesn't mean you can never be a trainer. Hmm. It just means that maybe the standing up part in front of a group of people might not quite come as naturally to you, but it doesn't mean you can't achieve that and do that. Hmm. And it doesn't mean you're not engaging. It's just that I think it's the key thing is to understand that there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. So you could give the same training content to five different trainers and have five pretty different ways of having it delivered. The content is what it is, it's ticked all the boxes, everyone's fully trained and they understand what they've got to do. But actually the delivery of that training was very different and that's where the nuances and the personalities of the individuals really affect it. Some people might enjoy one or two more than the other two or three, but it doesn't mean to say that it was bad training. But if you are someone who is an effective communicator and you engage with people in a professional way, but you know, I'm very much sort of like, you know, still PG environment. We're not here to offend people, but it doesn't mean to say we can't have a bit of a mm. bit of fun. And I think that's mm. something that me and you definitely benefited from when we worked together many moons ago, is that we created this very much, it was like a safe house, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And we had a group of people who were all outbound and it was outbound was completely new wasn't it to this office it was all their outbound and stuff had been outsourced and i think that there was quite a bit of shock and resistance from the current inbound teams to these new influx of outbounders and we 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 grew i mean we grew so fast you know it was Massive, kind of weird yeah, really from, aggressive from a standing start no one to a hundred people in Nine months, I think, something I think like that. It got close to 200 at one point. Mm. It was massive. And I think that it's, you know, we created something that I've, I've created since then, which I probably shouldn't tell you because I took all the credit for it. Was, <laughs> do you remember the, uh, the video that we yeah. did? So the motivation stuff, yeah. the who am I, I am a champion, all these things. And stuff like that, people still now, bear in mind I haven't worked at that company for about eight years. Every now and then on Facebook or whatever, I still see people, I get the W-I, whatever it is. W-A-I. I A A C five hundred one five hundred one. What was the five hundred one? Well, I just, can't just, remember that. Just to explain, because me, me and Mark are having a great time, but this will mean nothing to anyone else. Unless, <laughs> this is like my whole life. Unless we, unless we explain it, which is, um, 
and it was a fascinating it's a fascinating study to look back on now in terms of that whole I'm interested in the perception you talked about we have to come back to that around yeah, yeah. this the perception of who you are can you still be competent professional operator SME and have this wear this badge of joker yeah. in inverted commas is, we'll let's come back to that but the perception of the team was really was 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 fascinating to see because you're right as much as we were embraced by people as a, something new for the company it's good to have it in-house welcoming it open arms growth mindset we equally had great resistance people slow uh, fast slow fast and slow thinking fast thinking by pigeonholing and labeling yeah. based on nothing yeah um and the uh, we both thought it was just really important to create a sense of identity and one of the things that we used to have access to was plasmas yeah and mark put together a a video that we could either show in one go or show in five minute sections, which was you'd inter. Oh, I'm going to let you tell. Well, you tell the story because well, that's pretty much the whole story. But no, but I just mean about the interspersing of popular motivational stuff with our messages that related to our work. Yeah, so I think that the outbound is a very sort of unique world. I think um, you've seen the program Phone Shop on Channel Four. Mm. That's your old school salespeople on the phones. They go straight from the, the phone shop or wherever they are. That's, but this wasn't like that. This was about people, the, the products that we were selling, that, that kind of approach would never have been what it was. But these were people that needed to be encouraged, motivated. And this video was, it had quotes from Rocky in it, didn't yeah. it? And it had this foot, this American football coach. That's where the who am I, I am a champion thing yeah. came from, wasn't it? Yeah. So when we said that we put it together, I copied a lot of other stuff from the, but you know, what's the point in reinventing the wheel when it's <laughs> yeah. already there? And we interspersed it with a lot of different quotes that were um, relevant to what, what we needed the guys to believe in. And, and it, they really, I can't believe how much people bought into it. Well, the Who Am I, I Am A Champion, it's available on YouTube. You just need to look at it. Is, and the question we asked the team, it's a guy giving them this great motivational chat to, it's very, very kind of sports and quite aggressive. So yeah. we did temper that with some more, um, there's the, Will Smith film. Um, oh, uh, Pursuit of Happiness? Yes. So there's, there was stuff like that in there. Um, Bad Boys 3. <laughs> what a film. Oh, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so th this guy's motivating a team, and we just asked the team the question at the end without knowing the score, which team do you think wins this game of American football? And everyone says that one. And it's it's so true. But then that morphed into. This was our cat. It became a catchphrase. Yeah. It became an identity. We got business cards printed up just with the "Who am I? I'm a champion." Five oh one was actually our cost center. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. And again, that was something interesting. So we, every department, and as department head, you had a cost center, and it was common practice that you just dealt with that yourself. Mm. We took the view of sharing all of the details about our budget with the team, so that when we talked about our efficiencies and all of that kind of thing, we could boil it down to the, an impact they made on the budget. Mm. So if we're more efficient, we've got more of a budget and we can use that budget for things that they would benefit from. So I think about all the things that we did as a first in the contact centre, Yeah, more water, water bottles, fruit, all of this kind of stuff was all based out of that, what pivoted from this sense of 
camaraderie. Absolutely. And, and some of that was, you know what? A lot of people hate us. Which is true. It was true. It was true. We were, yeah, we got blamed for rats being on the site. Well, we, we, you know, well literally, yeah. we literally, I, yeah, that was something because because since Outbound arrived, we've now got vermin on the site. And we were like, well, that's going to happen. And that we, is a true story. People thought that there had been an increase in litter, which had led to more rats because a contact centre was across two buildings. Yeah. And having to sit in a meeting where people are. Not based on fact, but saying because we've now got outbound, we've got rats. We've got rats and rubbish. Thanks, outbound. Yeah. Oh, sales and rubbish. Gerbils, yes. <laughs> Fine, we'll accept that. Yeah, that's okay. We, we did have a few too many gerbils, but, but not rats. But it's that that kind of mentality. But that's a fear of change, and that's the easy answer, isn't it? Is to you know. It, I think that in that business, it was a lovely, don't get me wrong, there were some really lovely people there, but we created our, our own little environment, like you said at the beginning, like our own little republic almost. Yeah. We had our own floor, we had our own access to the floor. People didn't really need to bother coming in from other areas, but some people would, they would come in. I remember we had people touring the call centres from agencies and other companies, because the company in question has got multiple sites all over the place, but we were the very first companies is my understanding to bring outbound in-house yeah and a lot of the other people from all over the world wanted to see what that looked like and they loved it yeah and anyone who would come in from an inbound team would love it because yeah. it was a real vibrant environment it was a sales environment yeah without it being you know it wasn't quite wolf of wall street no but it wasn't like you know like the lost boys in hook do you know what i mean it wasn't yeah. like roofie you it wasn't quite that bad but we created a fun environment but as much as everyone was there and they enjoyed being at work they knew that the only time that this would continue is if we did what we had to do mm. and that was get our job done and that's what mm. they did mm. but it was very much about goes back to what we were saying about doing it for your team mm. I know that there are people who would have worked really hard because they wanted to work hard for you Martin tease down thank you get out of uh, they, they, but they did because they didn't mm. want to let you down and equally there were people who would say to me oh this, this training's great because of you know I'll get it but they equally they know that I'm the trainer and I think that's the thing is it's not about a power struggle or being like, I'm so important, you've got to listen to me, but have fun, guys. Put that down. It's not, it wasn't like that, but it's striking that balance, and I think that we really nailed that because it was a successful... It was really oh, successful. very, very. And I, from a, from a training point of view, that kind of... Um, this, we, we talked about it. You've mentioned it earlier, but there's the blurring now between... I, my personal view is there is no work-life balance. It's just... It's it's the same if you're spending that much time at work. Mm. And after showing uh, the video, we Mark's video was shown in bits, and then people said, "Can we see the whole thing?" And we arranged for time off the phones and showed people the video in its entirety. And um, there were tears. But I'll never forget someone coming up saying um, she wanted the video to help with a situation at home with yes. her grown-up son, yeah, yeah, yeah. who kind of lost motivation and. And something like that, and it's the power that you can have whenever you're in a position where you're responsible for people. Yeah, you can influence and do good over and above um, the reason that you're there to do. And I wanted to ask you about training because when we were having that influx of induction after induction after induction, really aggressive, because we had some success, and then of course, company goes right, let's yeah. double it, treble it, quadruple it right now. And what that meant was you were given lots of groups of people mm. 
what a wide range of demographics that was because you had we even had this is true a rocket scientist yes in the team joining at the same time as someone who was and I'm not this is not being rude it's true was barely literate yeah and had done um manual labor jobs first and how do you how do you deal with that as a trainer that's I mean what a group of people this goes back to what I was saying earlier though the call centers have got to be the only places where you can have such a wide range of people the, I forgot about the rocket scientist. Well, I can remember you coming up going, I remember. Uh, <laughs> we have a rocket scientist. <laughs> and it, it was great. And he was just kind of, again, same sort of thing. Come out of university, well, doing a master's, I think, finished a master's, no work, comes to work. Oh, what is it you do? Uh, rocket. Oh, what's his name? Elon Nuclear. Musk? Elon something like that, wasn't Mus- it? Mus- Musco or something? Masuki. Get some crazy ideas. Masuka. <laughs> Elon, Ma- no, yeah. you cannot bring a flamethrower into work. <laughs> Didn't hear you pull up in your quiet car. Um, I, I think that that's always the, that's they're probably the really sort of ends of the spectrum, really. Oh yeah, say. but in one class. But in one class, it happens. Mm. It happens. So I think that's where the benefit of being uh, again, you've got to know your product, but that's where the engagement part comes in. Of course, because you've got to. If I'm sitting there with a rocket scientist, I want to talk to the guy about being a rocket scientist because that's amazing. I've never met one of them before. I'm one brain surgeon away from Yahtzee. Do you know what I mean? It's the, which one is it? But equally, that doesn't mean to say that you're spending less time with the guy who struggles and maybe hasn't been in that environment. Because I, I was that guy. I've done that. I went from a manual job into working in, into a training environment. But the content is what it is. And this goes back to what I was saying about how you can have five different trainers deliver the same course in five different ways. But the key is if you can get that person to engage with what, what you're saying and engage with you as the individual... They, they will learn whatever it is you're trying to teach them. Yeah. And I think training's changed a lot in the last, certainly since I've been doing it. Like e-learning was, it had probably been around for a little while when I first started training, but it wasn't something that was readily available to, to, to certainly to me at the time. I think our version of e-learning was an animated PowerPoint. <laughs> and Look, you, the ants move. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was like when you first get a computer and you do all your stuff in word art and everything's like rainbow coloured and just an arch, arch font. But e-learning and, and, and as training has developed, then it, it's very much about, not necessarily about the facilitator taking a step back. I think the best training is facilitated e-learning and LMS and learning management systems, all this stuff. But when you've got a rocket scientist and someone who maybe isn't quite there, just because they, they don't know how to be a rocket scientist doesn't mean they, they can't understand how to do the call centre job correctly and properly. So I think that the, it's all about engagement and assessing the room, managing the room. People, do they want to be there as well? That's well, that thing. was another thing about motivation, wasn't it? That kind it's, of... There's, but, it's so bad. Sorry to... No, go on. When you walk into a training room, if you're there and the group's already there, you can literally... Body language to tell you everyone who wants to be there and everybody who doesn't. And I've had it before where I've removed people from trainers. They're saying, look, if you don't want to be here, then that's fine. That's up to you. But you're going to have to go back and explain to your manager why you're not in this session anymore. And they're like, yeah, fine, I will. They're like, cool. There's, you know, yeah. let me get the door for you. Uh, I'm not afraid to do that, but equally because that's dis- disruptive, and there are people who do want to learn. Nine times out of ten, those people come straight back in anyway because they are meant to be in there. But maybe they're not comfortable in a training environment. So again, it's all about how you make people comfortable, confident in the environment. Training should be a safe environment. That doesn't. That's probably not like a safe room like we're in now, like a panic room. <laughs> but. There's no such thing as a stupid question. You can mm. ask any questions you want. I've trained engineers, so mm. big, scary, burly, tough dudes who work in a van and like, oh, hey, you know, all the perceptions under the sun. And then you talk to them, 
and they're, they're Clive and they collect trains and they're lovely and he's the loveliest man ever. His real name's Clive but everyone calls him Pete. I don't know why people do that <laughs> but that's something that seems to happen a lot. But then your perception because you've got a perception of what a group of people are going to be like but the nicest and they're so keen to learn but it's such an alien environment to them. Yeah. These are people who are out in vans on their own all the time physically engineering fixing things and then they're called into an office to a, a, a training room and it's you know it's an unusual thing. So do I train that group any differently to the other group? I don't because the content is the same and you're promoting yourself and you're letting the group buy you before they buy what you're saying. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I feel like I waffle a lot, but it's... No, I think it's more about how... I'm just interested in how you then... You, you have to get a read of the room quick. Yeah, I think you do. But get, get, So let's say, I was, let's say I've had it before. Rocket scientist guy. Well, I can't remember his name. Let's call him Pete. Rocket scientist Pete could be super arrogant with it. We're like, well, you do know that I'm only here because I need a bit of money and I don't really want to work in a call centre. Mm. And by the way, I'm building a rocket. <laughs> You're like, of course you are. But that's that's a different conversation. That's not because that's just an attitude, not because he's a rocket scientist. I think sometimes you, you naturally get challenged by people, mm. um, particularly when I was young. I mean, I'm 38 now, so it doesn't happen anywhere. Well, it doesn't happen, full stop. But when I was younger and I was training, you'd be training older people. A big challenge was credibility. Mm-hmm. Going back to that, saying, so, you know, why, why should I listen to this kid? Yeah. Because I, I'm 38 now, I, you can lie, but I don't think I look, I think I look, what, 11? <laughs> Maybe. Like, I want to know the tattooist that allowed an 11 year old in. But do you know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah, no, you do look. I don't look like I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm let's let's be honest, 35 maybe. So I'm only taking a couple of years off. But when I was 20, 25, you looked like two. I looked like I was two. <laughs> yeah, like I was taking baby scans and going, "Here's me." But it's it's oh God, I've lost track of what I was going to say. But you do naturally get challenged by people because they've got a perception of what someone should look like as an educator or as a trainer, yeah. and I think. That's a two-way street. So, as a, an educator or a trainer or facilitator, you can think, "Oh, the rocket scientist Pete's going to be tough because he's mm. he knows his stuff." But he does about being a rocket scientist, but he doesn't know anything about working in this environment where you you know what you're doing. But that's why I love contact centres, though, because if you have spent any time in a contact centre and you love it, yep. one of the things that I think the side effect of being there, if if you're not naturally predisposed this way anyway, is you are constantly having easy perceptions uh, corrected. Yep. Because what are we like in, even now more so than ever, we would all benefit from actually taking more time and being open-minded to understand what people are really like. Exactly. Because it's too easy. We just think too fast and go, you, are there, you look like this, so therefore you are this. Well, a great example. We're both... Similarly, similar haircuts, very, very tight, very tight to the skin, <laughs> yes, and quite patchy. Yeah, and I'm, well, I'm covered. In, we both like tattoos. Yeah, I've yeah. got a lot. You have got a lot. Arms, chest, legs. It's all done. Yeah. Nothing on the face because you don't mess with the money maker. <laughs> but perception this is. This is my past. Yeah, here we are. But if I, I get followed now in some shops because of the way I look. Well. Is it that, or is it that you shoplift? Hey, the fact that I've got a lilo stuffed down the back of my trousers is neither here What happened there. in Woolworths in 1992? I am the sole reason that Woolworths went under. <laughs> that pick and mix, that oh, got absolutely it. rinsed. <laughs> and the little tiny cans of Coke. Yeah, don't leave the pick and mix open, though. Come on. It's their own fault. Mm. Just oh, like nuts on a bar. It's though, a pocket height as well. It was exactly, yeah. Plus, those Shovel things just in. lifted straight out. <laughs> but... 
My, but because I've got tattoos and a skinhead, essentially, not through choice, then people have a perception of that. Not everybody. Well, it's, it's this going back to that thank you, because you take me back to that question around the the Joker. Yeah. So that has that hindered you in the past? How have you overcome that? It did where we Because you are together. an SME. You know, the, when you, if you can, you bring your personality to bear, but you know what? It's is some of that confidence is based on the fact that you know your stuff I know what I'm doing out. exactly yeah. so I, I would never shy away from using my personality because I don't know any different because it's it, the only one you've got I am luckily. what I am as Popeye said <laughs> 1981 Robin Williams I am what I am and it, it is what it is but I think that it's I'm a hundred percent believe that it's my personality is what would separate me from another trainer yeah. that's not to say some people see that as good and some people see that as bad exactly and yeah. that's that's the difference is that I've had it before where I get set asked the set questions during an interview, and then the second, like the, the last bit, is like, right, okay, so we know you like fun and we know you enjoy laughing. I'm like, weird, isn't it? And it's like, I don't know, that scares you a little bit. But how would you handle this? So I get I get sort of thrown additional scenarios to sort of deal with, yeah. and I think that it's important to know that being someone who enjoys the company of other people who can engage with people that they've not necessarily met before and is paid to do that as part of their job I'm just my personality lends itself to being a trainer I haven't learned how to do this like the fact that I'm a trainer is a complete fluke it's because of a train strike in 2004 yeah. <laughs> basically that's that's my career 15 years later yeah. sliding doors it is it is exactly yeah. Gwyneth was there but the train went going nowhere <laughs> But do you know what I mean? It was it's it's complete fluke. But I've never compromised. I think is probably the best mm. word. But equally, I shouldn't have to because I'm not walking into like a funeral and making like death jokes, and I'm not going into like no, exactly. Exactly, you're not you're not Mr. Tumbles coming in singing when the situation in the environment lends itself for seriousness, right? Exactly. So, well, I've worked in places before. I tell you, this was quite good. Chatting away to my manager, who was a nice guy, but could turn. Like you never really knew what, like he's like, oh yeah, let's have a bit of a laugh and go like, right, no, that's enough now, stop. And he'd be like, oh, okay, great. So that it's just me and you here, you know that, right? And then our super super senior manager came in, and I was just chatting because I was making a cup of tea. She was making a cup of tea, got chatting away. Her name's Julie. She's Julie to everyone, and I called her Jules after a little bit of establishing that relationship. I didn't go straight Three in with seconds. it. Three seconds in. <laughs> What's up, Jay Bizzle? Uh, it wasn't quite like that. But the fact that I would call her Jules after like our second or third interaction, because I had established, I knew what my boundaries were, it made yeah. sense, we were comfortable, and that made no difference to me being able to do my job. Mm -hmm. But my boss pulled me into a room, and he was like, what are you doing? Yeah. I was like, oh, what, what do you yeah. mean? He said, you're calling Julie Jules. And I was like, yeah. Like, why, yeah. why is that a thing? But that, it, I feel like I'm probably the moaniest person you've had on this. But it just winds me up. Like, well, no, but but it's it's a it's a dangerous it's a double edged sword, isn't it? Because that very example you gave, I can give an example of getting it wrong. See, I've never got it wrong. Which I'm not saying I'm better than you, Martin. Well, you are in this instance. Thank you. So, but no, but I've never one nil. Hey, because you got because I gauged it. Yes. I'm not saying you uh, no, did. Well, it, well, this is this is the lesson to be learned, I guess, and I did learn it because. I it was actually one of my peers. I I like nicknames. I also do. And that kind of if you've come from a team that you've worked closely together, and then as you start to progress, you get more senior, and everyone seems to get a bit more serious, and it can be quite dry. Mm. 
I think this is why we orientated towards each other a lot of the time is then meeting someone senior for the first time I was kind of like three meetings in <laughs> and I started I, I just ended with a adding on an O to someone's someone's name is 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 easy John O Steve O yeah you know and then a bedizzle or a shenizzle yeah before straight. or after yeah you can't go wrong it's, well, I just did it with a J Bizzle I, I thought I was being safe yeah. and I got I got taken to one side by one of my peers who this senior person had had a word with right and said so and so really doesn't like the and I was trying different nicknames out as well so maybe we'd land on one that he did like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there, but this is it. He doesn't like he, it. He doesn't like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, but I've had that before. Like when you call people. And, I, but, and what I'm saying is, I'm not saying. I, I'm saying I know I was in the wrong because if the if the recipient is saying actually, I prefer oh, God, to yeah. be a little bit more formal. I don't really know you. Yeah. Who, <laughs> yeah. Please stop. I genuinely thought you were facilities. Me, hey, Potato Man! You know, yeah. stop trying. To, Stop trying to give me nicknames and just talk to me like a no- talk. Get, use yeah. my name, yeah, and that's fine. Because then once I'd established it, it was like, yeah, fine, cool, done. Yeah, exactly. I think knowing your audience is important, but yeah, that, that's the, the the tough part. Is um, I, I personally, I think I'm hilarious, and I think a lot of other people do as well. But but that's that's no, I'm being silly. But the thing is, I think there's nothing wrong with humour. It doesn't mean doesn't mean that you walk in and you do a knock knock joke. Um, it doesn't mean that. Do you want to do one? Do it. Okay. Uh, no, I can't think of any that were safe for this. <laughs> but you, you can't, it doesn't mean you're doing that, but it's about being approachable. Mm. And I think that people, just because I'm approachable doesn't mean that other people aren't, but I think that if, if you use it as a part of your arsenal, as, as a way that you communicate, people gravitate to it and they want to they interact with you and they want to do well. Mm. And then actually that's when you are comfortable and you are able to sort of have a bit of... Like we, we can have a conversation about something, but we can have... We can laugh two or three times in that conversation about it, but we've still got our end result, which is great. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. then there are people who are who aren't quite like that, who don't understand how you can do it. So therefore, I don't really think it's necessary. Mm. Like, well, maybe it's not for you, cheese puff, mm. but it is for me. Yeah. Do you exactly. Know I mean? All I think this is why we stayed in in contact centres because invariably, it's just interesting to be around people. It is, but I do think that I don't know if this is something that you can relate to, and this might sound a bit odd, but. You kind of, I kind of put myself in the position to be like champion of the people as well. So when you get to the point where you're working your way up the management level, mm. and there are people who are talking to people in a way that you don't think is acceptable, completely, then you're there to sort of say, "Hang on, you know, let's mm. just work out if this is the right way to go about this." I'm not suggesting this person has done something that is great, but is this really the right way to do it? Mm. Maybe we should just take them off and have a chat rather than shouting and just stamping your authority over everything when. You're not really here I, to do that. I th- I, and I think the more senior you get as you go, um, the well, personally, the more responsibility I've felt, it feels greater, actually, to go, what does this strategic view mean to Rich yeah. on the phones, first office-based job? What does it mean to him? Mm. And how does he bring that to life? And, and do we recognise... I mean, to, 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 go, to go back to that guy, um, there's, there's what, those are the things I'm most proud of. And I'm yeah, sure you are as well. 100%. What he turned into. Yeah. Some of it from you, other people around him about... Oh, yeah, you know, we can't take all the credit for it. But he, he's the one, he put the work in, but he just needed someone to maybe show him the right way to, to go about doing something. 
And that particular guy, we won't go into names, but I've, I've been working with him up until like six months ago. And the, the, from where he was when we worked yeah. with him, which would have been what, 2012, 2011? Something like that. Yeah, to now, eight, nine years later, he's night and day, it's unreal. So it's seeing that journey for him was is rewarding, and that's the stuff that stays with you. Because I mean, again, I can only talk about my own experiences, but that's probably why I'm here. But <laughs> with with training, there's like there's lots of different ways of training happening, and call centers can sometimes be very much like a conveyor belt. Yeah. So the Monday morning, you get your 15 new starters. By the Friday, that's it; they're done. That's their induction. They're on the phones. Then the Monday, you get your new group. I, I've worked like that, but. There's a lot of times when there are people who I still talk to now from all those years ago that I'm friends with yeah. from, from back then. And these people I would never have met other than that. And, but the, the successes that really stick with you, like our friend Rich. But I think it's, do you, it's some of that then, notwithstanding your, the manner in which you've done it, but it's some of it the skill set that people can gain, not just in how to talk about products and services, but also mentality wise yeah you've got to want to be in that environment i mean things like kind of resilience yeah well i think or context has changed a lot i mean mm. you're 64 years old now 72 72 72 so you've seen a lot of changes i have in the course and <laughs> like i remember when it was calculators and memos yeah but you could write a certain number turn it upside down yes right you know where i'm going with that eight double oh eight one three five so <laughs> Other words are available. You could write help, which was quite handy. Shell in course, oil. It? Shell oil. Other oils are available. Other oil is available. Hell. Yeah, there you go. In Michigan. And I remember pre-calculators. The abacus. Yeah. Is that fun. when you lived in Greece? <laughs> so we've established I'm old. Martin Teaser. <laughs> Hail Teaser. There you go. That's your next next podcast. No, the reason, <laughs> the reason I um, bring that up is... that. Since I've been in call centres, it's changed massively, and I'm, you're only a couple of years ahead of me. I'm only playing, but I think that the the way that the the industry's changed. But back then, call centres were almost like the new factory, yeah. and people would leave school, and they wouldn't know what they wanted to do, or they might not have quite got the qualifications they needed or wanted to go to college to go and do movement or whatever it was they wanted to do. So the easy option was to get a job in a call centre. And that's, you know, very much sort of lends itself to the conveyor thing we were talking about. But then there are people, and that's exactly what happened to me. I went, you know, I, I was working before, but I needed a job. I saw that they were advertising. I think I went through like some of these, one of these recruitment agencies, did a group assessment. Who can do the best chicken noise? And are you, can, have you got an alarm clock? Then yeah, you're in. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. wasn't, there wasn't much of it. I went to one of them where the scenario was you're in a helicopter that had crashed. Great. And I... I it was really interesting, but I was thinking, how does my, do my survival skills, yes or no? <laughs> I mean, that, that was a comedy sketch waiting to happen, because there was a guy there who was in the Territorial Army. Oh, God. Oh, it's like Gareth Keenan, though. Oh, okay. He went straight into, <laughs> okay, everybody, we need to get the tyres of the helicopter, cut that up, make a rubber skin for us. <laughs> yeah. I was like, is this what they're trying to evidence? Let's or- pick who we're going to eat <laughs> if we haven't got anything in a couple of days. Yeah. James, it's not looking good for you, mate. But yeah. Yeah, all the, all the crazy recruitment stuff. I've, I've done recruitment as well, and I love all that kind of thing because you can get people to have some really unique... Sometimes people's brains are amazing. Mm. Like the stuff that people can come out with, what they think is a good idea to say in a job interview is incredible. Or like if people want to... Like 
go on a podcast or whatever. They just, people are nuts. Anyway, I think, um, what was my point? Yeah, so I, we've seen a lot of changes and I think that as much as it was, when I say it's like the new factories, I, this is before our time, you was, I'm including you in this as well. It was very <laughs> much, people would leave, you would leave school and you'd go and work in, don't mine, Aye. or like in a factory, like working with road, clean, with tongue. Gullick road, clean, wit tongue. You had it easy. <laughs> You used to dream of licking the roll. <laughs> We'd get up before right. we went to bed. Uh, anyway, yeah, so that was kind of, but I think that changed a little bit. But the problem was is that people's perceptions of call centres were really, really negative. I think they still are. This is kind of one of the things about wanting to do the podcast and being a little bit evangelical about this podcast started, the very first one is talking to Mia about yes. what do you think Daddy does? Boring. What do you think call centres are like? And... Whilst we're never going to get away from some of the repetitive nature of what we do, we're in it because we've seen other opportunities, we've seen the world of opportunity that's in a contact centre. Mm. I still think, despite all the great work that a lot of organisations do, from a local environment point of view, from a wider perception point of view of the CCMA, I would love it to be, I would love to see it at some point. I'm sorry, I'm getting on a little soapbox now. Um, <laughs> 67 years old, so give me some time Please to get on me. it. <laughs> it's a bit high up here. Oh, I don't like um, I would love it to be that, that it, people wouldn't laugh at you if you said, I do want to go and work in that contact centre. Yeah. As a, as a aspiration. Yeah, I think that it's... Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, a, it's an odd one because there was definitely, when I started working in call centres, there was not shame... But if I was yeah. at a family event, yeah. what are you doing for work now? Oh, I work with computers doing this. And well, as an outsourcer, I used to say the main campaign we were working for. So mm. if it was a bank, I'd say, I'm doing some work for that bank. Yeah. Rather than go the name of the outsourcer that I was working for. Because they'd go, who's that? What are you doing? And you'd be like, oh, I'm on the phones. Yeah. And if you, the second it calls, call centre. Yeah. You're not one of them people who <laughs> phones me up when I'm having my dinner trying to sell me and I'm like no I'm not There's why a... don't you ever phone me back you're rubbish on the phone and yeah. you work on the phones oh, <laughs> it's just unreal it's just it's. I think it's changed a bit it's not got a lot lot better but I think what hasn't helped is these have you ever been called by one of these annoying ones where your phone rings and you say hello and then there's a pause and you go hello and they go hi it's Janet about your car crack and you're like it's a recording you're like yeah. see you later something mm. that doesn't help but also people don't it's probably a bit generalising, but I don't have a landline anymore. I don't think most people do. No, because everything's on my mobile, mm. and you know, and I think that you're a lot more in control of who's. I've got friends who literally will not answer the phone unless it's a number that they know, and even then, they probably won't yeah. answer it. But um, well, I mean, that's it. That's probably a whole podcast all by itself. Because how is it that with a computer now? Yeah. That's more advanced than they went to the moon on. Exactly. Conspiracy theorists, please go away. Um, Fact. <laughs> that with your mobile phone, when it rings, it disturbs me. <laughs> I yeah. go like, what? What's uh, happening? How many times have you been on your phone doing something on an app and then it rings and you just literally sit there staring at it with the name up there waiting for them to hang up so you can carry on doing what you're doing? It's All true. The time. All the time. Sorry, mum. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Martin's mum. Uh, that's not her phone in me. But yeah, it's... It's just odd. I think that that's changed it, but the perception, I think you're right, the perception of call centres is has always sort of been on the back foot a little bit, but that's why when you do go into that environment, it's really important to create a really fun, safe, professional, it is to be professional yeah. environment, yeah. because 
it's not about creating this atmosphere of it's us versus them. No, it's but it kind of is about protection. It's more that. about for me, and it has got much much better. I think it's more about for me that anyone that comes into it, who then develops in any way, mm. moves into any one of the ten different disciplines that are available to you. Yeah, it becomes as passionate and evangelical as we are yeah. about that world. So it's about how you can better express that externally mm. to say you know what guys maybe you do start here on the phones and that is still get and that's getting a more interesting role yeah um maybe you do start here but guess what there are a few places we started talking about management if you want it and if you're prepared to feel the nerves of coming outside of your comfort zone it's probably only retail where at a very young age, you are suddenly responsible for the fortune and careers of 15 people, day yeah, in, yeah. day out, of a diff- of the huge mix of demographics. That's terrifying. It is. To start with, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think you're right. It is retail. That I, I mean, I'm sure there are. I'm sh- yeah, there must be, but, but we can, you know, we're the best. Yeah, so <laughs> that's fine. But no, you're right. I think it's, um, it's a really unique thing. I do think it's a generation thing as well, though. In what way? It, the, the the perception that people have towards call centres, I think, will get a lot easier and better. So we talked a little bit before we started recording about TikTok and mm. all social media. Yeah. Like Facebook, when we worked together before, Facebook was probably around, but it was in its infancy. It was called Face. It, it wasn't even a book. It was a, <laughs> a face leaflet flyer. <laughs> Where, do you know what I mean? It was. Have you it, seen that new newsletter? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg, Dogs who's is that? Silent, selling a bike. <laughs> MySpace was on its way out when we so, were doing it. Yeah, we were t- so TikTok. Yeah, so that Instagram. My point is that that, that generation of like because the generation of people that started to be bothered by people who were trying to sell double glazing mm. and all these quite mm. invasive ways of selling things yeah. to people. That that generation is sort of like the one before us. We we're very much sort of gone in, in as like. Uh, early adopters if you like to what call centres yeah. are I think because the perception of a call centre is that they phone you up when you're having your dinner and they bug you and they're selling you stuff that you don't want but actually now there's things like web chat you can in- interact with people online you can you can absolutely still phone up or whatever or be called but people are a lot more open to it because we're a lot more advanced and there's a lot more advanced necessary but we're a lot more open to the different ways of communication mm. because it exists mm. and that's no dig at like my mum's generation mm. who my mum's perfectly nice on the phone to people but she'd probably like to avoid being called by a yeah. call centre if she could yeah. but equally my sister who's 10 years younger than me will very happily jump online and do a web yeah. chat with someone yeah. because it's for an objective but my parents are very much like well call centres are just a pain they, you can't understand what they're saying or you don't know where they um, what they're what they're going on about, and they're just trying to say something you don't want. But I do think that, that is a, there's an element of that, which is very much generational. I I wonder if the next um, iteration, because it's <clears throat> kind of gone call center as a phrase to contact center, and I wonder if the next there's some interesting um, there's some really interesting companies out there, whether they're in retail or BPOs or or whatever who. Are going, you know what? These are our contact center is really our customer communication center. Yeah. So all ma- everyone's omni-channel now. All manner of how our customers want to communicate with us and get whatever that brand experience is mm. is from this central hub, and that's a central hub of excellence. Yep. That kind of, I think, 
that is where things are going because no matter how you want to communicate what what channel whether it's text or speech or or whatever you're going to need a center of people that are communication experts and i think that's contact centers yeah i agree and i think that the the, the generation of people that the generations that are coming up now so the younger people now the people who are like going to be leaving school soon they know no they don't know any different to this mm massive way this this world that's literally at your fingertips how does that manifest itself in training then it, it manifests itself in that you, you've got to roll with the times you've got to adapt i like i mentioned earlier e-learning and, and lms i think that's really important but just because people use computers all the time doesn't mean that that's the best way to give them that information i think that um absolutely learning management system is brilliant i love it i'm a massive advocate of it i think you can do uh, like people who have been trained at home for example mm. or working from home mm. um, you can do pre-boarding with it so you can set people up so then they come to your training session they've already done not, not going to give them loads of homework but a little bit at least yeah. Yeah, a couple of slides maybe and it helps with the nerves I guess as well yeah it, it just ease them into it it's like getting into a warm bath <laughs> they want to jump in mate that's bad news but it's true but that's you know, the one strap line people take away from listening to you it's like it's, getting in a warm bath yeah a really hot one with a bath bomb no, but do you know what I mean it, you it, Let's all right. Let's let's go, let's roll with the bath thing, right? So if you if oh, you God. run a hot bath, yeah, brace yourself, <laughs> listeners. If you if you run a hot bath, you you don't just cannonball it in because you're gonna the water's gonna go everywhere. You're gonna burn yourself. You're in the bath, but you didn't do it very well. That doesn't mean to say you need someone to be the going right. Ease yourself in. Let's just wind you down there. You you know what you're doing. But if I send you a little uh, pre-boarding e-learning module on water's really hot, don't burn yourself. This is when you got to get out the bath because you're going to look like a prune or that you need to be ironed. Do you know what I mean? And then, and then actually you've watched three episodes of Friends and you've got to do that annoying thing where you get up and say, yes, I'm still watching it on Netflix. But I think... Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? Yes, I'm still here. But do you know what I mean? I think, you've got to worry when Netflix is warning you that you've yeah, watched too many episodes. You can't move. Hey, we're, our whole model is based on you binging, but we're worried. Yeah, thank God for you. You're right. We thought you were. No, but it's... My, my point is is that I think, going back to your, your question, you've you got to roll with the times, I think that, but you don't have to do it for the sake of doing it. I love LMS, but for me, the best training sessions I've done are facilitated LMS sessions. So I've done it before where we did five days solid of e-learning. Not my choice, that was the course, that's what it was. The, the training session, it was 13 days. And then the last two days, it was like on the calling floor, context floor, doing a bit of listening in and, and sort of buddy side-by-side -side stuff. But five solid days of literally coming in and just all day e-learning. And it was awful. It was, you could literally, you know when you walk into a room after a group, someone's had an argument and you can just tell <laughs> there's this, like, this vibe in there. There you go, you see, that's the but whole... It's kind of like that, but just deflated. And you're mm. just like, I feel like sorry mm. for everybody. It was quite good as a trainer because you'd have a lot of time to catch up on all your other bits, but... If the people that have had an argument are still in the room, but they're now the argument's finished. Yeah, that's funny though. Walking into that kind of room. Oh, I love it. it. It's great. Yeah, hey, you two have been arguing. <laughs> Why is <you> so red? <laughs> What's this on the floor? Oh, your ring. But yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. You can tell. I think death by PowerPoint, death by e-learning, LMS isn't the right way to do it. So just because a generation of people know how to use, like again, going back to my nieces who are much younger than me, they've had iPads since they were probably eight, mm. maybe a little bit younger than that. Yeah. And not necessarily on the, the the web as such, but they know how to open apps, change the mm. brightness on the screen, they can plug headphones in. 
they're interacting with things a lot earlier than we did because it didn't exist mm. which is okay that's fine but just because someone can use an app is it the best way to do it it probably is but actually a facilitated lms session i think is the way to do it so it's about adapting your your ability as a trainer to your audience but not compromising on quality of the training you deliver nice that was good see what was that no about? gags in there as well and that was just professionalism done thank you tick thank you martin <laughs> No, but you know what I mean. It's, oh, completely. It is about um, engage, engaging with people is absolutely key. Something actually that was really good is I started in training and then moved into a change role. And I've always, training has been consistent for me, but change has sort of been like a bolt on, if you yeah. like. Learning about change has really benefited me as a trainer as well, which I, I was surprised about because... I had to learn a few qualities to be a tra- as much as I'm saying earlier that you know, being outgoing that doesn't necessarily that's not necessarily the best skill to have on its own as a trainer it's a good skill to have if you're confident to stand in front of a group of people but it's there's a lot of other strings to that bow and I think that becoming qualified in change practitioner and all that kind of change management was was really useful and it makes you understand how different people learn which I knew anyway. So as a trainer, you've got the activist practice theories, all these different ways that people understand things and learn and take on information. But actually, a lot of that you can sort of, you know, all right, take it with a pinch of salt. There's a million different methodologies for this, but it all boils down to the same thing. But through change, understanding how people's behaviour to change, you can really help them learn a lot easier and a lot quicker, I found. And what... In what way? So what were the main kind of takeaways? So fascinating. Like change curving, for example. Mm. So the the range of emotions and the way that we process change. And people doing it different speeds. Absolutely. Backwards, forwards. All over the shop. So you could Mm. be like, let's just for argument's sake say that there was five points to a change. And you've got half the group are on a three. Someone's there already because they were cool with it straight away. Some people are back here on one really struggling. As a trainer, you're managing a lot of different... Mm. levels of that journey mm. but by understanding the change as a as a whole and the change the way that we go through change could be anything it could be really simple or it could be a massive cultural change within a business the process is actually if you just on a different scale are the same mm. really like you could i remember working at a place before and we had starbucks and then they got rid of starbucks brought costa in and it was like a revolution <laughs> like oh my god like there was nearly a revolt it was bad news other people some people were on a five. Oh, okay cool i can still get a coffee other coffee vendors are available. Please, Nero, <laughs> don't sue. But Support yeah. local coffee shops. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, go and see Wendy. But, um, yeah, it's it's amazing how much drama change can bring. Mm. And if something to me, as simple as changing the brand of coffee that they sell in an office, but to other people, that's big news. But they're not brought that up to saying changing the, the values or the, well, the ethics, but yeah, like yeah. The, the processes of a company. But my point is that through understanding change, it really simplified training for me, which it was really odd, but really reward. I really liked that. Saying that I got into training by complete fluke, genuinely feels very lucky because I've loved it. Mm. I've really enjoyed mm. it. And the change thing just it came at exactly the right time because it was probably about 10 years into my training career and it just sort of gave me a whole new perspective on it, but I've got 10 years of experience to put into it as well. Mm. I was really, really lucky with that. And did... Um were there any other kind of? Has there ever been any other? Or we've talked, of, we've touched on a few. Mm. You kind of think about your career 
where you are now that you can look back and go, here are some real milestones. Yeah. Are there any other that we haven't brought to life yet that you that you want to? This and I, I know that's a pretty awful question because it reminds me, it reminds me of someone the other day, not in our industry, but was potentially going to be doing some work in a contact center industry. Sent me a message that said. <laughs> Please, can you tell me everything you know about contact centres? Yeah, of course I can. Of course in, I in can. a text. Yeah. <laughs> can you tweet it? You've got 240 characters. So I just sent back 42. And yeah. then just, no, that's it, the answer. It is. To everything. But so, Yeah, but so are there... Because uh, Manila, I guess, is one. Yeah, massive highlight. I mean, I, I've travelled majority of the UK with training. So I've, I've quite, I'm quite lucky in that my training has been very varied. So it's been call centre training, conveyor belt, Monday to Friday. Yeah, now, now you work here, this is what it is, this is what you do, cheers, see you later, bye. Obviously it was very good training, but it is it's generation game stuff, you know. Yeah. It's literally in on Monday, out on Friday. <laughs> in on Monday, out on Friday. It's, it was crazy, but it was good. And then going out and working in field as well, so doing a lot of field training, face-to-face stuff, that's been a real highlight for me because they I, I love people I like engaging with people and you meet the best characters who you can learn from as well and that's another thing is as a trainer you don't go into it and you're perfect to train I'm still not the best trainer I can be now I don't know if I ever will be but as long you as know you know this has been recorded right that's kind of like joke, the... what? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard you admit that but, no, but, yeah, well, I'm joking. I'm good I'm at joking, it, but I don't. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like you yeah. always aspire to be the, the best. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know if it's ever achievable, but I will not stop trying to get to that point. Yeah, that's great. Because you, there are you can always learn. Just because I've been doing something for 15 years doesn't mean I know everything. Mm. We've got friends who are mutual to us who are trainers as well, and I observe them, and I've absolutely nicked quite a lot of their content. Oh, I mean, all joking aside, it's that kind of concept of um, the world's best. Ten- Roger Federer still spends. A long time practicing his first serve, yeah, and testing himself in his training, yeah. And you go, what? Why does he even need to do that? It's the and fundamental it's that same thing, isn't it? It, it, it yeah. is that exactly. So, yeah, I think highlights for me is that I, it sounds a bit cheesy, but for a career that I never thought I'd have, I've been very fortunate, and that it's not just been office based, which I love. I've been out literally. I've been up to the northern parts of Scotland. I've been all over. Wales and all, all, everywhere in between, literally just meeting the best people, training on all kinds of different things. And there's a lot of things that are very familiar and the same. It's really odd. You can be in Cardiff one week and I could have been in Aberdeen the week after and the same questions are coming yeah. up. And these are people we've never met, but it's just that perception on stuff. Yeah. And that, that's what makes you a better trainer is that you get, you get armed with these responses that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of, but these people have. And that's great because that only makes you stronger at what you do. But yeah, I think working in Manila was unbelievable. Something I never thought I'd do. I never planned to go to the Philippines. That's not somewhere I thought I'd go on holiday or anything. But I genuinely met the nicest people ever out there. They were so accommodating. I remember I was there on my own. So it was a long way to be from home. And uh, my first weekend there, obviously we would work Monday to Friday, but we would mirror UK hours. So I'd be working like midnight that time, which was sort of like eight in the morning here. So we'd work in three nights. And then at the weekend, I'd be like knocking about in this hotel, but they'd all come around and take me out. And I, just, I took a lot from that. And I think personally, it really changed me in, in, in a really good way because I was a horrible person before. Oh, yeah. As I, can, you know. I can vouch for that. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> but it, One of the worst. Oh, if not Literally the, the worst. <laughs> it, just a horrible person. But I think it, 
it's amazing what you can you can pick up and learn. I think it's a very unique role being a trainer because there are groups. I mean, as a team manager in a contact centre, you're with your team. As a trainer or a training manager, yeah, you've got your team. But as a facilitator, that group of people you're with for a few days, a couple of weeks maybe, and that's that. But you can still have that relationship because that's up to you to manage it. But you take something away with it. And I took a lot away from my time in the Philippines, absolutely. It was a real game changer for me. And for people now... Um We've got to think about wrapping this up because we otherwise we are gonna this is gonna be well, I'm amazed at how good we've been. I think everyone else is as well. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say when I was in Manila, I bought KFC for twenty four people and it cost eleven pounds. Okay. <laughs> Other chicken vendors are available. But that's that was that's not why I liked out there. I just, okay. I just thought it was just share that. that. No, if you ever um, go, help yourself. Get stuck in, don't be afraid. Um I was going to say, we thinking about wrapping up, because otherwise, we're going to have to do some other variation of, of this, where we just chew the fat, even yeah. for our own benefit. Doesn't I don't think anyone will listen to that, but <laughs> as long as we get it out Why of the not? system, yeah, yeah, I'm up for it. Um, I, one of the reasons for doing this is wanting to, um, you know, we talked about some of the reasons, but wanting to talk directly to people who maybe are about to venture into something else and that may they may be considering training yeah um but equally just kind of career advice Mm. what would you what would you want to share i think for me is don't be afraid to be yourself within a role that could be that you might perceive as above you Mm. so perception is a massive part of any business and this is something that i've had said to me is perception is king and what people think about you is really important. But the perception sometimes that I have had in, in offices, which we've talked about, was about you know the, the, the funny one, which is really awkward to talk about, especially when you've been on a podcast where you can't really be funny because you've got to be sensible. But do you know what I mean? So look, the perception... Yeah, can I just remind you, like 30 seconds ago, you were telling me about KFC. <laughs> I, just, I just like value for money and chicken. No, but my point is that is if you're in a position where you're able to, that you want to progress or you want to go into training, um, don't be afraid to be yourself because nine times out of 10, it's your personality that lends itself to the role that will make you successful at being a trainer. Mm. You can learn how to write content. You can learn how to create content, e-learning, LMS. You can understand all the different bits, but there's a, a little part of you that will always be your personality that is always going to dictate how you are as that facilitator. And don't be afraid to do that, even if people outside of that circle or outside of training don't have that about themselves it doesn't mean it's wrong that you've got it do you know what I mean I love that it's it's really true like, I've, I've had quite a few times where people are like really concerned about like for the record I always behave myself I mean you, we work together and yeah. we, we managed a very successful part of the business for sure and we and we engaged with very very senior people for loads of financial institutions at a high level and there was never any gags. Not not one. And but actually, we needed to go into a room afterwards and just giggle. Yes, we did. <laughs> we did. But it's it's doable, I think. And yeah. I do think that. The, and it goes back to actually. This is quite a nice little link here. Well okay. done, Mark. You've done this before. That default manager mode that people think that they've got to have. Mm. Just because you become a different person, like a different role, doesn't mean you become a different person. Mm. And I, I really think that. I would like to think that people who have been trained by me in the past 
have enjoyed it, that's important, but that's not the objective of the training. The objective of the training is that you're competent in your role, you're confident of what you're gonna be doing, you're professional, but you know what? I had a good laugh in that training because let's be honest, we were just talking about gas meters for two hours. That's yeah. not that exciting, but actually if you can engage with a group of people, that's great. Or I used to sell ceramic tiles on the phone. How do you train someone about ceramic tiles without it being the most boring thing in the world? Well, you do it because you sell yourself first. So don't be afraid to use your personality to your advantage, but be sensible. Yeah. Don't throw blamange at people, whatever you might have in your pockets. But do you often have blamange in your pockets? Did you not want some? Oh, thanks. There you go. <laughs> Eat it out of my hand. But yeah, um, we're losing it. We've got to, we've got to wrap this up. But um, yeah, that I think does that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I no, that's perfect. Be enough. true to yourself. Be true to yourself, and I think um, know your audience, but be true to yourself. And I, I love that. I think the other thing as well, just to um, another you that you you couldn't have been as successful as you have unless the output, right? So yeah, people having gone through the training knew what they were doing. So I was heading up ops, yeah. and no matter how much me and you got on, or how funny our exchanges were and I just like list hanging around with you and yeah. being, being creative and just doing crazy stuff that would actually mean nothing if when people had come out of whatever the format of the training was they were like I don't know what I'm doing yeah exactly you know Mark just told me gags for yeah. all day something about was, a wheelbarrow and some butter <laughs> it was, it was I don't brilliant know. yeah do I press this button um so, you know, it, again, it's, it, without the output, it's nothing. Exactly. And I remember me and you stood at the end of, a, of the call centre and there was 120-odd people there all doing their job. And they were all doing it because they'd been... That's surreal, though, isn't it? It was I, nuts. I still remember that. Do you that? remember yeah. it? I remember we stood there and it was a real, real odd... I still remember it really clearly, but if the training hadn't been done properly and if it hadn't been managed properly by itself, none of that would have worked. Well, actually, that, that link, that reminds me, that's giving me goosebumps because it reminds me of another little moment we shared where this is about people in your contact centre right now, please don't forget about letting them have a dream that you share yeah. about the bigger picture yeah. because after the very first day of dialing, turning the dialer on with Gangelicious, twice as delicious, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's he him or his eyes are do a podcast massively. Um, we we only had a team of eight to start with, and after we'd finished some limited dialing, we were in that enormous space. That space had been made yeah, for us, but huge. we only had eight in it. And we at the like gone eight o'clock, just asked everyone to stand on the back wall. It sound it's going to sound corny now, but to close their eyes and imagine that they are the first team and what we're trying to build is that that entire floor is full and what that looks like and fa feels like and sounds like and it's full of happy people working towards the same goal and just talking to the team about that, people now, and then to fast forward yeah, a not year, that, not, not that long probably really. Probably eight, nine months yeah. really. And to, for that to be done and to still now have people come up and go, we, the, from the, yeah. the original group, it's still the goat. Yeah, we were there, leaning against the wall, thinking about what what is possible, and um, you know that is a kind of that's what's possible, isn't it? It is, yeah. And uh, but sharing your vision and sharing your dream, and and they're they're the integral part. They do the hard work. Yeah, I think that's something that is easily forgotten. Is yeah, it's great you can train people, but then you leave them, and they're doing the job. Yeah. And if you don't have those people doing that job, everything above it doesn't matter because there's no one on the sharp end doing that bit. And, you know, they're, they're the hard, hard workers that get it done. 
Mark has been emotional. Man, I love you so much. <laughs> oh, God. I, don't want to do it. I love you too. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you.